So I've got this big plastic Godzilla, right? Right. Right. The best. I've got one of the best Godzilla. Um, to adorn my uh, Godzilla pinball table that we've talked about before. Yeah. The uh, 1998 Matthew Broderick classic Godzilla film uh, starring, in, in my opinion, the only legitimate Godzilla. Yeah. The one that's so legitimate that when uh, the Godzilla <laughs> studio in Japan, Toho, uh, bought the character, they named him Zilla. Because they felt that the gods had literally been taken out of the character. That one, <laughs> I believe, to be the only legitimate Godzilla. This is the one that when I was subtitling the Jimquisition this week, I had to check that Zilla was the name of a character and not just like a cute abbreviation of Godzilla. Yes. Like that, I, I had to check that this wasn't a comma Zilla situation. Yeah. Now, that clip I showed on the Jimquisition is <laughs> the sum total that that clip which the full video from which i took just the fight scene uh, comprises of 45 seconds which is the sum total of screen time that the 1998 american godzilla got in the official japanese godzilla canon the reason is brilliant because i've been looking into this uh, recently because the pinball machine uh, reignited my interest of a film that i've defended in the past the american gods it's not a good film it's not but it's got its shitty charms. Now, the Japanese creators of Godzilla uh, and the studio Toho were so completely offended by the American Godzilla with some good reason. Yeah, that's uh, I'm not going to argue with them on that point. Well, no. There are reasons. They thought it looked silly, which... They were right. It does. Yep. I love it, but it looks stupid. Uh, they didn't like that it was a mutated animal rather than a sort of you know, force, some embodiment of, of, of natural revenge or... Some cosmic horror that existed below the waves and was awakened. Yeah, like, like there was no symbolism to it. They didn't like that, like, helicopters could hurt it. In their words, like, Americans, American film studios couldn't conceive of something that their weapons couldn't hurt. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> couldn't, that couldn't be you know, harmed by the might of American military force. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they they named it officially within their own canon, Zilla, to take the god out of it, and bought the rights to the character <laughs> to throw the best shade ever. They bought the rights to the American Godzilla, named it Zilla, put it in this film. I think, if I recall correctly, the, the film is Final Wars. They put it in just so Godzilla could curb stomp it in less than half a minute while um, Blink-182 played. <laughs> and just as it was obliterated, uh, it was timed perfectly to the lyrics, Born in the Land of the Free. <laughs> so they, they bought, God knows how much they spent, but they spent a ton of money just to throw shade at the American Godzilla. And that is why it is my favourite kaiju. <laughs> Now, see, I wish that uh, Nintendo had committed as hard to throwing shade when uh, many decades ago, uh, you may remember that they purchased the rights to a couple of uh, Mario-themed porn film parodies in order to prevent them being released. <laughs> I wish they'd gone as I wish they'd gone this route. You know, had a ma had the Bob Hoskins Mario movie release, and just in one scene of it, Bob Hoskins curb stomps one of the actors from the porn film. Mm-hmm. 
They just get like Ron Jeremy or whoever, like throw him yeah. into the fucking river and then blast him with Mario's famous nuclear breath. Exactly. We could do that anyway. Ron Jeremy's an asshole. I mean, he's a piece of shit. Yeah. 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 All things considered. Um... Welcome to Parkquisition. Hey, everyone. <laughs> this thing's ridiculous. It's a foot tall mm-hmm. and it's got buttons that control and make its tail go and its leg stamp and one arm swoosh and then uh, the mouth open and go raw. Wow. And they couldn't think of any way to elegantly put the buttons on it. So it's got a massive fucking handle, you know, like an iron. Right. Your classic electric iron. Uh-huh. That's how you hold this. Okay. And they... They tried to make the buttons and um, sort of sides of the handle look like armor plates. It's the stupidest thing you could ever see. It's brilliant. Really befits the character. Um, It's also fucking heavy and I'm lifting it with my bad arm, so I'm going to put that down. I have a thing I want to talk about before we get into the video games we've played this week. Do you? Because, like, I don't have much to say about it. Yeah. But I got an email in my inbox and I have... I have to tell you about it because otherwise I won't be able to like move past it. Mm-hmm. I I need to be able to unburden myself of this knowledge. So I received a a, a promotional email for a for a video game, uh, and I, I'm just going to read to you the text from from this this email. Swimming poo is an action game that combines arcade gameplay with the openness of a sandbox environment. It focuses on evading foes. Interacting with the environment and battling in its own distinct way. You you play a kid at a, at a pool trying to trying to take shits everywhere and outrun the, the 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 lifeguards that are trying to stop you. Okay, so so why wasn't this revealed at the game awards? Yeah, why, right. Why why wasn't this given the highest honor in the in the realm? <laughs> I look. I just I can't. I keep reading this this PR text and going. Someone was paid to write. Take on the role of Simon and show the pool guards who is in command. Feel the taste of 1960s commercial America as it blends with a magical aqua park. Okay. Fart and pollute pool zones to show your agility when battling foes. This is really hard to Google. Like, it keeps defaulting to swimming pool, even with game. I'm trying swimming poo. They did not pick a good title. Wait, uh, yeah, I'm trying to send you the announcement trailer. The the developer has 14 YouTube subs for what that is worth. Even in quotes, because it's not a good title. You see what they want. They want swimming poo to sound a bit like swimming pool. Sure. But it just feels like an unfinished swimming pool. It's ungoogleable. Indeed. I've I've not watched the trailer. I'm literally watching it for the first time now. Uh, I saw some bad promotional images. The, the trailer's looking about as bad as I thought it would. Yep. Oh, yeah. This is delightful. That is some very awkwardly moving, very plasticky people in a super colourful uh, swimming pool. Oh, my God. There was an early 2000s commercial for the Monopoly board game in the <laughs> UK that had a creepy fucking CGI family. <laughs> buy me some money to buy Lester Swift. Like, it's that. Yeah. This is like early 2000s UK TV advert CG. My favourite thing about this CG that, that is made apparent is that, that our main character, Simon, this teenage boy, has like a friend who is an anthropomorphic, very small coil of shit. 
with like a little tiara and a floaty ring and flippers. Yeah. That like Simon is clearly friends with. Like Simon's like, oh, I'll share my my drink with you. And like people at the pool are not are not keen on Simon's little tiny anthropomorphic friend. No. I have a few thoughts as I'm watching this. Yeah. Yeah, I have a few thoughts. One, you know, we can complain about these visuals, you know, all we want, but this is better than Cryptoland. It is better than Cryptoland, I'll give it that. And that effort was applied here. You can debate the merits of that effort, but there is something happening here. That anthropomorphic poop is remarkable. Oh, sorry. I skipped to 1 minute 55 in the trailer, and my goodness, the projectile levels of shit going on to project this this kid through the air is... um. Yeah, I just hit there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, visually, it really reminds me of Bone Town. Yeah. Which was a really, you know, uh, terrible GTA style uh, att- or attempted GTA style game, uh, porn game. Yes. That uh, um, from like a decade ago. And this visually looks better than that. But that's what the, the sort of style reminds me of. Except if Bone Town had been about uh, shitting in a pool. I, I might have been interested in Bone Town as a thing to play. I don't know what I want out of bringing this to your attention, other than I couldn't just sit with the knowledge, like, I couldn't just look at screenshots of this and know it existed and not say anything. Yeah. I needed to get it out of me. I want review code. Um, I have an email that says, uh, code available upon request. Yes. I, I, I am requesting. I, look, I can put I can put in our I can try and get us codes for this if you get would. us codes for this. I will try and get us codes for this. Disappointingly, <laughs> the demo is not yet available. Yeah, uh, I rushed to Steam to download it. Right, um, but it is coming soon. Apparently, I am hoping that the request button at the very least will get me like demo code. Now, I want to know. I'm super curious. I mean, 2023 is already off to an incredible start. Yeah, game of the year contender right here. I mean, we've already got, like, like yeah, I'm reserving a space on the Jimquisition Awards already. Like, oh. keeping it warm in several ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, until we get to play Swimming Poo, yeah. uh, who, who's played stuff this week? Have either of you played anything? Does anything else matter? I mean, like, I feel like any game I play between now and swimming poo is just me treading water. Like, I'm just in a holding pattern. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I did what you'd expect. Yeah. Oh, did you play Satisfactory? I did play Satisfactory. Oh. Yeah, I know it's shocking. Um, I've now just hit the milestone where I'm getting access to oil. Which means that the last, like, few days I spent completely reconfiguring my uh, power system has been rendered basically irrelevant, as I am now going to do that again. But the thing that makes me so, like, the thing that makes me not give a shit is I installed a mod that lets you apply the color customization options to a special type of power cable that they've added. So all of my wiring is color-coded. And my power system is beautiful. I have these long cable lines running, you know, one for 
main power and one for logistics power because logistics is on its own power network so that in the event that there is a a fuse break on the main line i'll still be able to get around to the factory to the various places that i will need to to reset my fuses shit like that oh it's so good it makes me feel so happy one could even say satisfied uh, so yeah, but um, that's that's re well. That's not all I've done. I've had another game to talk about later, but we'll get the satisfactory out of the way. I'm uh, my my current gameplay time is 120 hours. A lot of that is just leaving it on time. But fuck me. Nice. Yeah. I I played some things this week. I played a lot of little things and then revisited some other things. I'll start as I as I have been doing and will be doing for a while with uh, Laura's playdate games that she she got to play and that's quite nice corner. Um, I'm, I I apologize that we once again are going to have to have another session of uh, Steph doesn't yet have a playdate corner as well. But uh, I, I got some new I got some new games that I've been playing around with. The the silence from Steph is just it, it says everything. <laughs> Never even heard of playdate. <laughs> <laughs> don't even want one i've got a 1998 godzilla with a giant fucking iron handle i don't need anything anyway i never wanted one i don't I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad i don't have one i'm glad well i actually quite like mine uh here's what i've been playing on it this must week. be fucking nice uh the two games that that came up this week were flipper lifter and echoic memory uh i'll start with flipper lifter Flipper Lifter is a, like, pretty basic little puzzle game with a time pressure on you, where you are basically helping operate an elevator in a hotel full of penguins. The gimmick is you're using the crank to move this elevator up and down floors. Uh, anytime that penguins, you, you know, you stop cranking and your elevator gets to a floor, any penguins who are waiting will get into the elevator. You'll start seeing icons next to other floors for which floors have pe you currently have penguins that need dropping off. Each of them needs dropping off within a certain amount of time after picking them up, and you can see by a sort of uh, meter that is dropping uh, how much time you have left to do a drop-off on that floor. The more penguins you drop off, you get time back on the clock, which helps you to sort of keep the run going. But... As you progress, more and more floors get added to the hotel, just stacked on top, uh, added up to the top, which means that you've got further physically to move, but also more places to be keeping track of and, and managing your attention between. You are basically trying to pick up and drop off penguins quickly enough that you are getting t more time back for having dropped them off than you're losing in the process. It is a simple little game, but it like the the, the core the core loop is really fun. By managing to drop off uh, X number of penguins in a run uh, without uh, running out of time, you unlock new levels that have little gimmicks to them, but are largely aesthetic changes to the same sort of concept with a few little unique gimmicks. It's very simple. It, at its core, it is just move an elevator up and down and micromanage getting as many people as you can where they need to be very, very quickly, but it's got cute penguins. It's it's real fun. It's another one of those, like, in that category of a game that feels very well suited to a very small, very thin device that I could just throw in my bag. Like, a play this a little bit while on a train journey or something. Bite-sized little, little thing to play around with. 
Uh, the other one I need to put more time into, I'm super curious about. Echoic Memory is a game in which you are working on an assembly line at essentially like your Amazon or wherever, and you are doing quality control on a robotic voice-activated virtual assistant. It's essentially an Alexa, and you're working on the on the production line doing quality testing. Mechanically, it is a game about listening to a little piece of music be played and then locating it on one of four buttons uh, on, on the device as quickly as you can. There will be things that will make it more difficult to pick out which is the piece of music you're looking for. Uh, you might have to sort of speed it up or slow it down with the with the crank or change the, the pitch to go, oh yeah, yeah, that's the thing I'm listening for. Contextually, in narrative, that is you validating areas of memory on this thing before they ship out. It seems to be introducing mechanics as it goes to make the process more difficult than where it starts, which is just listen to a little sound clip, listen to four other sound clips and go, that's the one that matches. The thing that I'm intrigued by is I'm not very far in and I'm already starting to get some interesting little hints at dystopian revolution narrative going on. The boss left the, the work floor for like five minutes to go take a meeting. And the very next one of these Alexas that came down the conveyor belt asked me, because uh, I'd been told not to talk to these things, uh, asked me, will it hurt as I opened it up? Uh. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is this is getting a little intense a little quickly. I'm curious where it's going to go with that. I don't think this game does a great job of explaining its own mechanics. Like, sometimes it will introduce a new mechanic and not explain how to do the thing it's just introduced and require a bit of a bit of experimentation in a way that like there's not enough audiovisual feedback to make the process of fiddling around to work it out feel like it is deliberate exploration there were a couple of little hurdles that i had to just fiddle my way through and that doesn't feel terribly good but outside of those moments i am enjoying the game but very, like, oh, please, please tell me there's going to be some ability for me to free these presumably sentient machines. So yeah, that is, that is my new new stuff I played on Playdate this week. Steph, have you played anything this week? Yeah, played a couple of things. After my video on Monday, the gym position, I, well, I was inundated with recommendations for a uh, role-playing game called Chained Echoes. And I'd already seen it on the store, but something about its visuals just made me sort of discard it. It didn't stand out particularly to me. But I got so many recommendations that I decided to give it a look. And it, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Very much um, wears its inspirations on its sleeve. There's a lot of Final Fantasy in there, a lot of um, Chrono Trigger in there. Turn-based retro-themed RPG um, with an interesting story about these... Um, it starts off as six characters that sort of all have different goals and sort of run into each other and end up trying to prevent a war between these nations that have just found peace. What's interesting about it is where it's tried to freshen things up, and they've done a really fun thing with turn-based battles um, called the Overdrive which fills as you perform actions, uh, you know, attacks and, and spells and things. It fills up this meter that has three stages. One is normal, and then there's a big bar for overdrive, and then a small red bit at the end, which is overheating. And your aim is to keep it in the overdrive part, 
uh, because you do more damage and you take less damage. If you overheat, you take more damage. And the way you do that is by performing actions that reduce it while performing every other action to keep it in there. And that changes. Every different action is a different type. You've got straightforward attack, you've got magic, you've got healing. And on a turn-by-turn basis, the action that reduces the overdrive meter changes. So one round, it might be attacks reduce it, or one the next round, it could be healing um, actions reduce it. So the idea is to constantly switch up. Instead of just spamming attack, uh, the idea is to constantly switch up what you're doing. It works out pretty well. It's a really nice battle system. It's very fast-paced, adds a little extra thought to it, and it really is you feel the benefit of keeping yourself in that overdrive state. So the early battle is just performing any action to get you there, then balancing actions you need to do versus ones you need to hold off on in order to keep it in that overdrive. The other thing I really like about it is it's one of those RPGs and they're so, they're increasingly common, but still not common enough. They're one of those role-playing games where stateless effects matter, God fucking damn it. Mm. If you poison an enemy, it's fucking poisoned. Like, 75% of the enemies aren't immune to it. This runs to bosses as well. There are so many status effects. Things that reduce their attack power, reduce their um, defences, poison, bleeding, all of that. And it's all effective. And working out different enemies' weaknesses and working together with your party... Because you get everyone as well. Only four characters are on screen in a fight, but you've got a total of eight. I'm at a point where I've only got six so far, but there seems to be a total of eight characters. You can have four on screen, then you can get the other four to partner with one of them and form a tag team. Mm. So you can swap them out, which is a free action on that character's turn. So you can swap them out, and swapping also reduces the overdrive a little, so that can help with cooldowns. So tagging them in and out, is it, it just makes it really strategic. But because actions are very fast and it's very clear what everything does, it's not bogged down and, and overly complicated by it. Uh, it's, it just feels really efficient, which for a turn-based RPG is a great thing because you can't always say that. These games struggle often with feeling ponderous, but this one is really snappy. And then you, you've got these other little, like, nice interactions between characters. Like, uh, one character has uh, a, a move called Oil Strike, which he hits an enemy with his sword and covers them in oil. So you can use your other character that has a um, fire attack, basically, and then they do extra damage because the oil makes the enemy weak to fire. Um, there's lots of little things like that as well. So I'm liking it. Uh, where it's really efficient and straightforward in its battle, it's not so in other places. There's a, a crystal system where you constantly find different crystals that you slot into weapons, but it's not simple at all. You have to find crystals of the exact, not just the same name, but the same purity level and size, and combine them to rank them because they're only effective once they're rank three. So you've got to find all these different crystals, make sure you've got ones of the same name, purity, and size, combine them, put them into a weapon, 
But if you take them out, it will, I'll use the exact words, lose all its purity and become big. I've been there. It's, well, yeah. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, that makes it... you. It, looking online, it doesn't make the crystal useless. But for all intents and purposes right now, they're useless. It's overly complicated, and there are so many crystal types. Only a few of them are useful, like the stat upgrades, the simple, straightforward ones. Ones that are like... I don't know, there's dozens, dozens of them. I can't even remember them off the top of my head. So it's so hard to find the right combination of crystals to use. Because you get new weapons at a steady enough clip, slotting them in feels almost useless. I started looking it up because I couldn't get my head around it. So I looked up what people were saying about the system online. And the consensus seems to be, don't bother. Which is a shame, because it's got the makings of a good system. It's just a convoluted mess. Uh, someone on Reddit described it as, imagine if Final Fantasy VII punished you for using Materia. It's kind of like that. It's a very punishing version of the Materia system. Um, but other than that, it's it's a very cute game. It was done largely by one person in terms of um, sort of all the fundamentals of it. It's got a lot of silly humour in it. I like it. I really like it. I'm, I'm not sure I'm agreeing with a lot of people who are like, this is a game of the year and the fact it didn't get brought up as, a, as an instant classic is, a, is an injustice. But it is on Game Pass uh, at the moment. Also on Switch, depending on what you uh, get out of these games. Um, but, I mean, it's on all the platforms, but those are the, the two most relevant, I would think, um, for our listeners. I do think it's very good. Um, if, if anyone's looking for a, a Japanese-style RPG, sort of in that Final Fantasy Chrono Trigger vein... This one is surprising me. It, it's very engrossing and it's doing a lot. Sometimes its ambition outpaces what it is capable of, but it certainly is ambitious and, and mostly succeeds. So yeah, good game. I've played a little bit of Chained Echoes. Uh, what I've done a lot more of is talk to my wife, Jane, who has been playing a lot of this over several weeks and... The main thing that I would say, like, to be to be aware of is that this game, it has an unbelievable number of ideas. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of ideas. Narratively, it is incredibly dense. It feels like one of those things where someone has created a whole lore bible of what they want their, their sprawling universe to be and is trying to wedge all of that into into one story and yeah. like i've been very interested in some of the bits of the narrative and some of the like the world building ideas but i'm also far enough in myself to have started to see some of the points of oh yeah oh oh yeah no that's a, okay we got another plot we got another plot going on <laughs> uh, there is a lot of there is a lot of plot happening all of the time yeah i mean i'm i'm um a good few hours in yeah and it's followable. I think a lot yeah. a lot of the world building is just that. It, it's background world building. But I, you're completely right. You can really tell someone had a, a deep idea, like lots of ideas, and, and built this big world in their heads. It's not to the point where, like, when I was trying to watch Game of Thrones and I had to constantly Google who random name that got brought up was. <laughs> yeah. But it is the kind of thing where it's like... There are times where the dialogue does feel like it is there because the 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 creator 
wanted to get some of their lore on paper, not necessarily because it is important to the plot you are going through in this moment. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, it's it'd be okay with like, we're going to take some diversions into lore territory. It feels like one of those rare instances where, you know, you're those people who have never made a game, don't know how to make a game, but always have so many great ideas and have written this law mm, bible and have yes. all these like these these millions of, of ideas and, and thousands of years of rich history. Except this one actually made the game. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's one it's like it's like a, an anomalous situation where someone who has loads of really good ideas, TM, actually made it. Um and, and the result is is good. It's surprisingly cohesive for something that feels like it was, here's everything I've ever wanted to wedge in a story. Yeah, yeah. Like, it shouldn't come together as well as it seems to. Yeah, I think part of that is just it. It The writing that's in there is pretty well written. Um, I believe, um, I, 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 I think I saw somewhere that the, uh, uh, the main dev's um, first language isn't English. I believe that is the case. But... Nonetheless, like it, it, the humor in it comes across really well. The characterization, like I, I really like the uh, the main characters and the way they sort of come together plot wise. Um, I'm pretty into the the world uh, as it is. Um, I really like the enemy designs, the monster designs. Some of those are really cool. I chased a carrot across a field, <laughs> and then the carrot led me to his mates, who are like a band of evil vegetables. And then I beat them all, and then a giant skewer f- came down from the sky and speared them, and then they became an evil kebab. <laughs> quality. Quality. <laughs> Every There's a full bestiary, which of course I'm always going to be fond of. I always want those in my games. And what I really like is is the loot. Just the random loot that you sell. All of that junk has its own little write-up. And some of those are really fun. Um, and, and incredibly silly mm-hmm. um, So it's well Every time I'm selling off my loot I have to spend time reading While I do it Because whenever I've got new loot There's some like A couple of silly sentences Describing it um, Yeah it, It's a very charming little game I like it a lot Nice Comrade you played anything else this week? Well uh, Sort of In the uh, I, I watched uh something being played uh on my stream on monday night and and hopefully monday nights going forward because i've been so excited about this i found out that my wife hadn't played eternal darkness sanity's requiem the gamecube Mm -hmm. game from now more than 20 years ago and that's a painful thing to think but it is one of my favorite horror games ever like it is uh, what it attempts to do and how much of it it achieves is remarkable and a, a lot of the you know things a lot of what people reference when they bring this game up is the sanity system that it had uh which is very interesting well, it makes flies crawl on their screen conrad it does brilliant and for its time, revolutionary. Obviously, there have been other things that have taken those ideas and and worked with them in different ways and and evolved it. It's it's not shocking or stunning in the way that it was then. Although, again, I, part of my excitement of Linda not having played it is 
she knows nothing. Mm. Like, she knows nothing. And I'm dancing around shit because I know that this is kind of a cult game. It wasn't that popular when it came out. Yeah. And I I know that there are going to be other people listening to this who have never played Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. And I would urge you to look up nothing about it just to have the opportunity to have a, a raw experience of it. Because while, again, one of my sort of mantras is if the if your lack of knowledge of a thing is necessary for the enjoyment of the thing, then it's not really that great a thing artistically. And I maintain that the thing is still really cool. <laughs> like the thing is really cool, but if you don't know what it's co- when it's coming, that that first time you'll never get that back yeah and i recognize that the things it's doing narratively are utterly fantastic as well it if you like near you'll love eternal darkness if you like near you will love eternal darkness that's the cell right there yeah and I'd ne- that had never hit me up until this moment. I would never have described it that way, but I, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> yeah. If you're too young to remember when Silicon Knights was good and credible and its reputation had been driven into the fucking ground by Dennis Dyack, check it out. Yeah. Seriously, check it out. It is amazing. And it looks great running on a Dolphin emulator. Yes. Like, it upscales beautifully I, I was watching watching the start of your stream and yeah the, the gameplay of that holds up so nicely in emulators yep it's it's really really good please go play it i, I especially if you like old horror games of that era um with the tank controls uh, that is, and that's coming back into vogue a little bit. There's been a few more of these games popping up in the last few years. There's a lot of nostalgia for that type of gameplay. So if you're just discovering it and you like it, play Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. Uh, it is just, utter- and like even just the, the visual presentation stuff and the audio presentation, the game has... Uh, it's a 20-year-old game. It's on the GameCube. It has fully effective and utilized surround audio. Mm. That sounds great. It has a 16 by 9 widescreen resolution mode built in. Like, they made a great game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Play Eternal Darkness, people. Uh, really, uh, you will you will thank me. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's it. Uh, Laura, what about you? You played anything else? I played a game that, like, I'm gonna say very little about because it's only maybe five minutes long, maybe ten minutes long, and it's free. Mm. Uh, You remember Barber is You? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a very mechanically different game from the same developer that's been put up for free on itch.io called Barber Files His Taxes. I've heard (laughs) of this, yeah. Yep. Um, All I am going to say to you is, is this pitch. Barber is very intimidated by tax forms, not very good at reading or writing or numbers. Mood. You have been brought in to help Barber with this confusing tax form. There are two prerequisites. Ticking ticking appropriate boxes and forging Barber's signature over and over and over. It is a cute, funny little game that 
is very simple. Don't go in expecting anything monumental, but it is a cute little time about doing a little bit of, of tax fraud. <laughs> Just like a little bit. Just like a little bit of doing someone's tax forms when you're not the person who's meant to be doing the forms, while Barbara just sat sits there looking like, with the look on their face of someone who has to do a tax form. <laughs> Brilliant. See, yeah. I, I, other than that, like the main thing I've been playing this week is I got back into playing Hades mm. because Hades Two is happening at some point, and that got me back in the in the the rhythm of playing some Hades. I finally stopped playing with the one weapon that I really like playing with in Hades, uh, which is the Gilgamesh fists. Oh, really? Yeah. I so the the build I that I got up to like nineteen. Yeah. I think nineteen heat on is get these Gilgamesh fists, and the thing they do is you you get loads and loads of dash attacks uh, and very quick um, hits on those. So I would stack up a bunch of poison on my basic uh, attack, dash in inflict level 5 poison and dash out before I stopped dashing. I'd, I'd try and get the deflect on my dash as well, so that I could do all of that without really putting myself in any risk of being harmed. Back off, let over uh, poison over time damage, like, do big chunks of damage, then get back in. That was the build that I got really into playing. Mm -hmm. And knowing that Hades 2 is coming, I was like, at some point, I'm going to need to get used to the idea of playing Hades with not this one specific weapon, because I'm going to pick up Hades 2 and go, yeah, but where's my Gilgamesh fists? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, I need to I need to get over that initial learning curve and pick a new weapon and get find a weapon and a build that I have fun with. And what I settled on is, I forget what the name of it is, but it's the final hidden aspect of the gun. The form that is a laser. Oh, yes. Uh, the Phoenix, I think. The Phoenix, yeah. So the deal with this laser is that it looks like it's a continuous beam, but it's like it's technically 20 rapid fire distinct hits that are happening. And what I've been having a lot of fun with with that is equipping it with the light the chain lightning effect, because each of its shots is so rapidly in succession that you are setting off chain lightning around the room really, really quickly. Mm. I enjoy pairing that with, um, that weapon's whole thing is meant to usually be the damage it deals ramps up over uh, the longer that the beam is is hitting an enemy. I instead go get one of the, uh, the hammer upgrades that uh, it stops you getting that ramp up in damage, but you just have infinite ammo, you never have to reload, which is great for the build I'm doing because a lot of the effects of the electricity are not dependent on that ramp up. Mm -hmm. So you are still doing the bouncing electrical damage, the jolting damage on the things that the electricity bounces to. A lot of your damage isn't really lessened that way. Right. Then I'm pairing it with things like um, uh, the green arrow. Is that Artemis? Yes. Yes. Um, who does a lot of stuff with crits. Uh, you're doing so many, like, little attacks very quickly that crits adding up is great, but also trying to get the upgrade where every time you do an attack or a cast... You get set support or support fire, yeah. Yeah, the support fire, which works great when you can just have the laser on constantly not thinking about it because you just get constant stream of those arrows. Yep. Uh, that with maybe the hammer upgrade that gives you a little extra range on the on the laser, and you can just 
bounce around the room with electricity arcing off things, and it's so fun. That's I. That is a great build. I am probably going to play with that because that seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, I I've been trying to experiment with like what to have on my special and my cast. Um, I've been tending to go towards like uh, Demeter, uh, to get chill mm-hmm. because if I can get chill, say on the cast. I can slow down the enemy moving uh, and sort of prevent... I can, I can give myself some space so that if they try and charge at me, I've got more time to back away because I don't have as many dashes as I'm used to with the, with the Gilgamesh gloves. There's probably a more optimal choice, but it, being able to inflict chill with those sort of dropped crystal lasers it just gave me the extra breathing room to to back away when needed. But it's... It, I, I, I'm, I'm fine-tuning where I want to be with it, but I'm like... He... I think I'm on, like, Heat 9 with it, and yeah, I'm really digging it. I don't tend to use my cast just as a rule. It's it's one of those things that I forget it's there. I don't like the basic cast at all. I felt that way, and I've sort of come around on the basic cast a bit recently, mainly in that if I can get the right if I can get a build where I've got like a decent amount of like damage happening very quickly, the the basic cast can can up the amount of damage that my already good build is doing just enough to like occasionally save me having to deal with um certain waves. Like I would never deliberately pick no no uh, like the default cast, mm-hmm. but I've sometimes found like with the um the tougher version of the Lerny boss fight. Throwing my my cast crystals in can get can get the 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 summoned in extra heads killed just quick enough that I can like get all of them dealt with before Lerny starts attacking again from behind the shield. Right, like that little bit of extra damage output can sometimes be more significant than I I sort of assumed it was previously. Yeah, but I just I don't I don't enjoy using it. It doesn't like generally fit with the play style that I'm, I I approach things with. It's why I like the 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 um Demeter's cast crystals if I'm going to use a cast because I can just drop drop them and forget them and they will they will target and they will afflict an effect and I I can just sort of pick them back up whenever I'm nearby again. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I will if if I am and I I frequently do favor Demeter as as a uh, you know, part of my build, but yeah. uh, so if it pops up I will grab it, right? Yeah. Uh, at some point, once I've gotten the other things that I want from her. Um, now, I I will also I like the uh, trippy shot, uh, the Poseidon cast. Yeah. But that's likewise. It's I can drop it into the room and be done with it, right? Yes. And those those things all work very well in conjunction with the special on the gun. Yes. Which is similarly set it and forget it. And so once I get into, you know, that sort of arrangement, yeah, I'll be I would be using cast on an, anytime I enter a room. Anytime I get the I get the opportunity to grab the um if you have no cast crystals, you get Yes, yes, 10% uh damage deltum reduction, yeah. Right. And then once I once I have that well, now my default is to simply drop all my cast immediately upon entering room, regardless of what I have, if I have anything at all. Yeah, and that's how I tend to how I tend to treat them as well. Is that like if I'm going to pick my crystals back up, it's pick them back up and throw them straight back out. Like never hold them for more than a second. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I 
I'm really enjoying that gun with just big arcing laser around the room. It is, it is, it is fun to wa- to set up as much of a ludicrous pinball situation as you can. Oh, and and yeah, that that Zeus uh, boon, I sh- that should have come to me. I almost never use that one, like the the attack based electric. Yeah, I, yeah. Ne- neither do I. But like with the the sheer number of it, of like uh, of times it procs with this gun, it it it's the main time it has felt worth it. Well, exactly, and and that really should have 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 hit me before now um because every build i ever use with the gun is centered around the special i i've barely been using the special with this build like i will sometimes use it but i have been so focused on just like go for the zeus things that are like um inflict jolted uh don't get rid of jolt the jolted effect when an attack happens sometimes when an enemy is hit with electricity they will get hit with electricity again and just watching things melt <laughs> yeah the thing i i tend to go for when i'm using the gun uh there's a you know a triple shot hammer upgrade oh, which yeah. uh for that special which is incredibly useful um but i really like doom mm. on the special for that and that might be worth trying out because yeah similar to uh your interest in using the cast to get that little extra bit of damage hmm. uh, combining that with the area effect and the delay isn't that long for doom so by the time you fire it off it goes off and you get in there to finish up finish up the job they're dead yeah i've 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 played around with doom on the special on a couple of runs i i'll i'll, I'll give it another go it had been i tried it but not i'd not locked in on it much yeah it's i, I tend to you know anything that's not a um an ame- you know a stacking concern mm. great for the special on there yeah and and you know you can get doom to stack with another boon but i don't i don't think that's a particularly practical approach either um one of the other big advantages of it from my point of view is that it's a status effect that holds just for a little while and if you have the mirror effect that grants you the damage bonus from two or more status effects being applied to enemies, mm. you immediately get to take advantage of that uh, on your second attack in a room. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Stuff you played anything else this week? I played. Uh, I've been replaying The Witcher Three a bit. Yeah. Because uh, they had that free update for like uh, the current gen. Oh, the the yeah yeah yeah. Um. It's the same Witcher, which is fine. It's a really good game. Uh, it's been it's a very easy to, to stream game, so I've been put, playing it on Switch a bit. They've got the the usual story when it comes to these upgrades, quote unquote. You can choose between um, a version of the game that makes use of all the features that Sony advertised for the PS5, or you can have a game that runs well. <laughs> Ray tracing is bullshit. On, on consoles, the thing that Sony sold so hard on the PS5 is shit. I put ray tracing mode on for five, not even five minutes. I couldn't stand it. The, the choppiness of, of the frame rate is hideous. Hideous. So it's back on performance mode, the default mode. 
the mode that's defaults on every console game that has a choice between graphics and performance because they know objectively which is better. I'm legit. I'm, I'm legitimately angry about it. Really. I mean, I don't blame you. Like, it legitimately pisses me off. They tout these features so much, and they're genuinely worthless. Ray tracing on the PS5 is genuinely worthless because any game I have that makes use of it has it as an optional mode that is significantly, objectively worse than a straightforward performance mode. And it's not just about how the game feels. Games in performance mode look better because they're not chopping like shit. So ray tracing actually makes games look worse. Not just feel worse, they look worse. I, I showed The Witcher 3 on stream. It's a little hard to show these things off on Twitch because, you know, you're not getting to see the full fidelity frame rate and everything. But even on Twitch, people watching could see exactly the, like what I meant in the difference. It's that dramatic. I have not played, and I'm talking about the PS4 as well, when this thing started, I've not played a single game with the um, favouring the graphics mode over performance. Who would... It makes the game worse. It really does. It's kind of like I didn't really have I didn't see a reason for me to try to get in on this console generation yet. Yeah. And that's, you know, historically been my approach, you know, during that period of time where for professional reasons it made sense to get those things as quickly as possible. I would do that, but Otherwise, it's always sort of been, you know, well, okay, the thing's going to come out and then it's going to take it a year before the library starts to get interesting, um, you know, and broad enough to justify. And then there might be a price drop, you know, so I, I had always waited, a, you know, one, two years even sometimes to get in on a console generation at all, let alone consider multiple systems in it and nothing that's been offered by this new console generation has made me feel like i needed to get it yeah and and then but that that you know there was a mid gap between those and this and that seemed like such a minor incremental step that i was like i don't care about that so now i'm two consoles back basically where And I'm looking at the future thinking, well, what are they going to do to make this interesting for me? And I just don't see it. Yeah, it's been a case of diminishing returns generation on generation, really. It's been several generations since we saw an, an actual leap that felt truly dramatic. And, and case in point, I'll tell you one of the best looking games on uh, the PS5 is The Witcher 3. Oof. It's The Witcher 3 in performance mode, not ray tracing mode. Because it looks like garbage in ray tracing mode. I mean, I don't even see much of a difference. Granted, the, the frame rate and performance is so ugly, I can't bear to look at it for more than a minute. But when I do, out of curiosity, put graphics mode on one of these games, I don't even see what's so, like, what's supposed to be taking my breath away. Mm -hmm. I can tell it looks a bit different, but. There's nothing to where I'm like, wow, this is a generational leap. It ain't. It's a crock of shit. And we're now at a point in time 
where the touted upgrades of a new console come at the expense of the game being good. That is obscene. Obscene. Meanwhile, you have Nintendo, who, as we've discussed before, do their own thing. And sure, people can make fun of the Switch's graphics all day long, but that system is still selling. Mm -hmm. And that system can justify its own existence because it, as a piece of hardware, is doing something the others aren't. And that is the crucial difference. The Switch is doing things the other consoles aren't. That's why it can have games that, that don't look as good. Yep. Except half the games on Switch actually look better than the games on um, modern, uh, on the more modern consoles because from an artistic design standpoint, they are just more appealing games visually. So yeah, that, that's sort of where I'm at with it. Um, the Witcher 3 truly put into perspective in a, in a, a more angering way than usual uh, what a crock of shit um, console generations have become. And on top of that, just this version of The Witcher 3 is strange because of what you've got to do to fix it. The PS5 version of The Witcher 3, its default camera isn't the default camera. You have to go into the menu and switch the camera to default. What? Huh. Now, I don't think that's how the word default works. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I don't think that's how it works. I, default, as I understand it, yeah, means... It, it it means the 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 setting applied at the start point. Yeah, yeah. So it's I'm I'm not just being a stupid twat then for assuming that the default option should be the default option. Okay, I'm glad I've got some corroboration on that. Thank you. No, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, the the new version. I didn't because it's been a, a while since I've played The Witcher Three. I thought I was just shitter at the game. I couldn't understand why I was being hit so much. And then it was pointed out to me, like, that camera is so far up Geralt's ass. And what they've done is they've made the default not the default. The new default is close camera, which pulls the camera so tightly to Geralt that you can't see what you're fighting. You can see an enemy immediately in front of you, but it's like the fucking uh, Callisto Protocol. You are focused on one enemy and everything else is hitting you from behind. So you can't make use of the game's otherwise, like, really nice dodging and countering system. Because you can't see what's hitting you. The moment I pulled the camera back when it was pointed out to me, I went into the options, pulled the camera back, I realised that it wasn't me. That something really was wrong and I just hadn't pegged it yet. It's a really good example of how important a camera can be to a game, is, is the difference between close mode and default mode in um, The Witcher 3. Because that close camera is... I don't know what was going through anyone's head. Who, who made that the new default? It's baffling. I highly recommend, if you can, have a look at what this game looks like in close camera mode with its combat. You will be stunned. Like, you look at it side by side, close and default, and it is sh it, it's unlike the difference between um, ray tracing and non-ray tracing. You can actually see an appreciable difference uh, and improvement with the default camera. It's stunning. 
the the combat was based around a camera that was sort of pulled back to give you an overview of the entire group of enemies surrounding you. Pulling it in close so you can only see one is, and then making that the 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 first way you engage with the game is truly stunning. But other than that, I mean, it's still a, a really good game. So I have been enjoying playing it now that I've gotten it back to normal. Now that it runs like a video game should run and has a camera that was actually designed for it and not put in as, I can only assume, a joke, it's been a lot of fun getting back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with that, shall we... Has, has anyone got any other games or should we get on to the newsy bits? Uh, let's just get on the news. Yeah. I mean, unless Steph has something. No, I'm good. I'm done. I've got my Tamagotchi, but um, the 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 seven days were up on the one I had. Oh. It's gone home. I got a new egg, and the new one looks stupid. So I think I'm just gonna starve it till it leaves. That's all right. That's all right, right? Yeah, there's nothing ethically wrong with that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's probably shat on the floor already. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> let, let's move on to things that are more important than that thing. Dirty little beast chitting on my floor. Nice little newsy bit this week uh, that I have some like cautions and some questions about, but also some things I'm I'm very positive about. Uh, did either of you see that uh, Sony has announced an accessibility controller for PS5? I do believe I read that, but I didn't look into it. Mm. Yeah, so here's the, the the basic deal. It's been developed in collaboration with a with like some some accessibility consultants that I know do very good work. Uh, charities like Able Gamers, Special Effect, who were like one of the big charities for making custom disability-focused controllers. There's some really good people involved in this, which has me pretty reassured. It It is a circular controller with a bunch of large buttons around the sides of it that you can change which, which of the buttons around the edge of it is which, um, and controls which functions. And uh, you have alternatives to an analog stick out on the side of it that could be things like a joystick that you could hold with a grip rather than a small analog stick. Uh, it also has inputs for external devices like the Xbox Adaptive Controller does, although in images we can only see two of those ports. In we would I would assume that it's going to have ports so that, like in theory, you could have an Im an external input device per button on a PlayStation controller. We'll see. There's a bit of me that's a little bit disappointed that we've got another first-party proprietary accessibility controller being released mm. in that, like, I literally, like, a day or so before this got announced, put up a video talking about, like, one of the big things I really want to see from the games industry is standardizing, having a standardized accessibility controller, because accessibility controllers are expensive, and disabled gamers often have less of a budget available to them, and... It's one thing I think this industry could really stand to do uh, to do is to come together and just make one modular box that works on all the consoles so that disabled players can just use the one disability controller and hook it up to their systems. This this feels like an idea that a third party could manage and do. Like an organization. Yeah. So I've talked about this. I'm I'm surprised that Hori, the uh, controller manufacturer, hasn't done it mm -hmm. because uh, on Switch they are the, per the the company that makes the the one that works for Switch. Uh, the the Hori, uh, what's it called? The Hori Flex. I am surprised they haven't just released one that has 
here is a Switch. You move it into Nintendo mode or Xbox mode or PlayStation mode, it works on all your systems. Like, I feel like there is a real market for that from a third party that I hope we at some point see. Power A is another one of those manufacturers. They make pretty solid controllers and they do them for everybody. And it it, it's, it seems like... I And, I mean, the reason... I I would assume that it's not being done is that, you know, they view the market segment as being too small, and that fucking sucks. It's weird and tricky in that, like, I wouldn't have thought this would be the case if you told me a year ago. The only one of the three major content manufacturers we know at some point was trying to push for um, a cross-platform solution was Nintendo. It, we don't know what happened to it. It, it was uh, during the period that Reggie fils was working there. He's talked about it in interviews, doesn't know what's happened to it since. But Nintendo was trying to get these manufacturers together to make one thing that worked for everyone. I, I do want to focus on this this controller. It, it's currently called Project Leonardo. It does some things that like the Xbox Adaptive Controller doesn't do that I think are really neat. Having an analog stick input built into the base thing that you you purchase is something that the Xbox Adaptive Controller doesn't have. That just has access for a D-pad, which out of the box means you can't play 3D games. One thing about this is that, like, it seems like Sony realistically is expecting people to purchase a pair of these controllers, in that there is enough buttons on two of these controllers uh, will be exactly enough buttons to 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 map all of the inputs of a regular dual sense, and my like caution there is, what is the price on this thing going to be? Yeah. Because buying just one accessibility controller is usually more expensive than a standard controller. Like I like functionally what this offers. I really hope that they can get the price to a point where pr- uh, suggesting buying two isn't a ridiculous thing to suggest. That being said. Some things I've been asking for from Sony for a while seem like they are probably coming to pass with this. Um, one of Xbox's best accessibility settings is something called Copilot Mode, where you can use multiple controllers as if they were one one player. Mm-hmm. We don't know for certain exactly what's going on with PlayStation, but they have said you'll be able to use up to two of these accessibility controllers and a DualSense as one player. Whether that also means you can do what you can do on Xbox and use two dual senses, if that's easier for you as one player, that's not being confirmed. But I would guess so because Horizon Forbidden West on a one on a single game basis last year did have that functionality. It seems like some of Xbox's like better features are coming to PlayStation, and I'm glad that like for any concerns I have, we are at a point now where all three of the major console manufacturers and PC are platforms that you can or will soon be able to purchase a mass-produced accessibility controller that supports modular uh, additional inputs and just works. And that is a really exciting place to be for this industry. Mm -hmm. Like, even five years ago, that seemed fucking impossible. It's frustrating that Sony had things like blocking PS4 controller support, which meant you couldn't just use the Xbox adaptive controller through a dongle, but... I'm glad that there is an option finally on PlayStation. That's something. Um, so I'm I'm choosing to see the win for the industry here, and very interested in this controller. So that's that's just a neat thing. Hooray! More people getting to play more games. Yeah. On on less nice news. Uh, hey, you've you've both heard the stories of how 
uh, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask was developed in like under two years. It was like a real quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turns out a bunch of the lines of dialogue in that were developers writing about how they were being crunched and how terrible the crunch was they were going through. Oh. Oh, God. Tragic, but also brilliant. Yeah. I like it when that, like, when developers do that, like, protest through the game. Yeah. Uh, like, like how when game developers used to not be allowed to have their names in credits and things, so they would just, like, hide their names in the game. I love that kind of, like, stories like that. And now we have Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that <laughs> wasn't, well, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot of lines. Uh, that, this was from an old translated Japanese interview that's only just been unearthed and translated into English. Uh, I'll, 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 read, I'll read some of the game lines that are written about Crunch. Damn, I'll have to stay up again. I wonder if I'll finish this. And damn, guess I'm staying up late again. I wonder if it'll be ready in time. The mayor talking about don't t- don't tell my wife uh, is a reference to one of the developers like having his home life interfered with uh, by by working on the game. Even the the mask salesman saying you've met with a terrible fate is apparently one of the developers being annoyed about crunch. Fucking hell. Yeah. So that's um that's gonna forever change my uh, perspective of that game. Maybe it's not a good thing to try and push a video game out in two years. Other stuff uh, from from previous weeks. Remember last week we talked about uh, Microsoft trying to claim that the FTC was being unconstitutional. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so um, that has been embarrassedly walked back. So they weren't... They weren't trying to trying to seriously uh, make that argument. Uh, the short version is, what was submitted to the FTC was a draft version of uh, Microsoft's response, not the final version. And that draft version, according to Microsoft, um, had a lot of like basically any single idea that anyone on the, on the team working on it could come up with that might be a legal defense uh-huh. was put down on this draft, and. They purely forgot to remove the uh, the FTC's being unconstitutional one off right. there after having worked out internally that was not a good argument. So they were only thinking about talking shit. Yeah. Well, it, no, they were talking shit. That they were talking shit. They just didn't intend for everybody to hear them talking shit. And I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, is it? Worse that they thought about this legal strategy or that they were so sloppy that they <laughs> submitted a draft document, which because that's your choice. Like that they, they, they made their choice. They've decided to say, oh, sorry, we were just sloppy. I mean, it's not going to endear them to the FTC. Well, no, the FTC are pencil pushers. It's not going to paint paint them well. But that's th- these things are also, you know, public perception plays a role and I I think it sounds better to be like, "Oh, this was a whoopsie," than "Oh, we'd like to fundamentally change how uh trade functions in this country." Yeah, yeah. So um that was an embarrassed walk back that Microsoft were forced to do. Some other bits that we had this week. Uh vampire survivors related bit of news. 
just a bit of news that reassures me that like hey i i enjoy a game from a developer that 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 that's got their head in the right direction uh, the game's developer, Ponkel, um, in an interview with PC Gamer, talked about the recent uh, mobile port uh, of Vampire Survivors that happened. And the short version, I'm going to super summarise this interview, is the studio spent months looking for a mobile developer to make the, 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 the mobile port of Vampire Survivors, could not find a studio that would, would agree to a non-predatory business model, and as the attempts, like the the numbers of mobile clones of the game started to rack up, basically the studio said, "Fuck it! If no mobile game developer is going to agree to a not shitty mobile monetization model, we'll just make it ourselves. We'll just get it done because then we can do it without any of that stuff in there." And I, one of the things I, because yeah, they released that for free on mobile, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, that's that's the other part of it that I find very interesting and very smart yeah. is that they aren't trying to profit from the mobile version. At least not at this yeah. point. I mean, maybe they could change pricing later. There are ads on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, you you can get a extra revive or double your gold if you want, if you watch an ad. Uh, that is like one of the least intrusive things I've ever heard. Right. Okay. That's uh, so. That's awesome too. But by making it free, and and making the product that everybody wanted to be on mobile, and making it free, they have undercut that clone market entirely. And that is a a a that's an issue of public perception and and perception of the quality of your product that the clones that are out there, they may be imperfect. They may not represent your work and it's going to give a false perception of what your work is. And so this can be justified from a business perspective as simply a marketing expense Yeah. to, to settle that once and for all. And on top of that, one thing I like about it is how um, Vampire Survivors from Inception has demonstrated that you are paying when you talk about other free to play games you are paying a constant ongoing amount of uh, money in microtransactions mm. to get the exact same dopamine hit that vampire survivors is giving you for a couple of quid on systems and for free on mobile you don't have to go if you just want shiny pretty gems flying on the screen and the sense that something, you know, good, like a slot machine style euphoria has hit you. You don't need to keep spending money to get it. Vampire Survivors gives it to you for free. I I think I read somewhere that um, Luca, um, I, I, I talked to him enough that I haven't fucking asked him, but I do believe that Luca like has worked in the past on like actual physical slot machines so knew not just what to do to provide that dopamine hit but what not to do to exploit it and i think that's what vampire survivors does so well is it gives you the exact high that free-to-play games give you mm. but with none it doesn't use it to manipulate you it just gives it to you. Yeah. 
and and when you compare that to so many um freemium games that do minimum gameplay um to rush you towards um, um like like something like uh, raid shadow legends where the games will just play themselves because the gameplay isn't important it's all about opening that loot box it's all about getting that rush um a game like Vampire Survivors should render an entire market obsolete mm. because if that's all you care about, if all you give a shit about is that rush, you can get it from Vampire Survivors over and over and over again. You don't need another game. Yeah. And and I you couldn't say that about any other game in any other genre, but because the, the the video game aspect of mobile gaming is so reduced, you truly can say it of Vampire Survivors that, in my opinion, functionally, it should render an entire cottage industry completely fucking obsolete. It won't, but yeah. um, functionally it does. It's just, you know, games like Raid Shadow Legends have done very good worming their way into people's consciousness. But if, if all you want is that rush, there's a game doing it and it's not going to manipulate you, exploit you, prey on you. It's, it, it doesn't do it at the you know, expense of, of neurodivergent people, vulnerable people, children. It doesn't do any of that. That's what's so, you know, one of the several things that's so fucking good about it. Agreed. Couple of very quick things to end off uh, up on. Um, a news headline that I was very uh, pleased to read. Um, you know how that Silent Hill 2 remake's being made by Bloober Team? Mm, Bloober. A team that has a uh, has a real iffy track record with uh, mental health in horror. And just horror. Yeah. Their work is like hack-level work. It's awful. Yeah. Um, so according to an interview between Dread XP... And uh, Bloober Team's marketing chief, Anna uh, Jessa Jasinska. The remake of Silent Hill 2 is going to be um, faithful to the original title. And what that apparently means is Bloober Team has basically no room to change the plot. Uh, none of the plot stuff is going to get fucked around by Bloober Team. They're, they're like, we're, we're making some changes. Like, the, the, we, we're doing a different camera perspective that's going to change some, some angles. But like, you know, we, we, we're we're thinking about how to make particular like scary moments look better in in a modern context. We're, we're not touching the story, so I'm very glad to hear that um, Konami has kept them on a tight leash when it comes to narrative, and yeah. I hope that turns out to be the case because that was my big worry about this this remake was don't let Blue Team fuck around. It was the worry because they're not good. When it comes to, like, story, writing, characters, they're not good. Yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to horror game design, they're not very good either. You know, I've played several of their games, and mm. they're not good. They don't do good horror in in many uh, regards. But they're not... They can make a functional game. And there are aspects of, of the medium, which was their best work, that was successful. Um, in terms of gameplay, uh, obviously not in terms of writing, because that one is probably one of their most offensive uh, in terms of um, tackling themes. Yeah. So if you do just get them to 
if they're doing a straight remake of Silent Hill 2, but modernised, I still don't see it replacing Silent Hill 2, like the original, in my heart. No. But it's gone from, I want nothing to do with this, to I'm at least curious enough to want to try it. My my biggest red flag has been moved a bit to the left, and I'm not so worried about giving it a go. Yeah, pretty much. The only other thing, and this is just like, I'm I'm intrigued by this more than anything, is uh, reviews went up for uh, the HBO Last of Us, uh, the Last of Us adaptation that they've been working on. It's reviewing very well. Uh. And like, I'm, I'm not going to say like numbers are, okay, we should be excited. There's a few things I've been reading in some of the reviews that have made me like, ki- kind of interested. And like, the thing that keeps coming back up and around, and the thing that I will bring up is that Lots of reviews have been talking about the fact that it is better for not being a video game, and has managed to put aside a lot of the we have to be violent because we need to give you something to be doing right now, even if that's not tonally applicable. Hmm. Go on. And that it seems to be a better story or a better adaptation of it of this story by being less constantly hyper-violent because you need to have something to do as the player that's that's doing combat. You don't say. Right? And like, I, I'm i gonna be, you know, dubious until I see it, but like, I'm very, I'm, I'm kind of reassured seeing how many places and are having very similar sentiments of, this is a more nuanced and interesting story when not something you're playing as a video game. Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me given what The Last of Us is like to play as a slightly a slightly dissonant experience where like feel these things anyway go back to shooting mhm so it's it's made me more interested to watch it than i had been i'm just not interested in it no i'm not interested particularly either yeah and I, i'm i'm i don't mean anything by that no 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 i i i'm not against it necessarily although i i have thoughts about what it says about um performers when um a certainly a game that is is uh praised uh in no small part thanks to its vocal performances um is considered like oh we can get rid of those and put in some real actors yeah i i don't know whether i want to watch this as a thing but i have a lot of areas of it where i'm like i'm really curious about it well it is also it reminds me how the trend for you know what is it about creative people that are never fucking satisfied with the medium that they're good at working in (laughs) yes what is this like you see this all the fucking time comedians all want to be fucking rock stars rock stars all want to be fucking comedians Video game developers, for some inexplicable fucking reason, want to be filmmakers. And they're, they've proved they could do it. They, they could be filmmakers, so go do that. Go do that and do try to do things in video games that you couldn't possibly execute better in film. Stop trying to make your stories be something that they're not well suited for uh yeah no i'm dying though i'm dying to see the response from gamers tm 
if it is a less violent experience, if the tone tonal shift of that has impact, um, that's that's interesting to me. The gamers who haven't seen it are already getting really mad at reviewers that have brought up that it is that like not even that like Joel as a main character isn't violent, but that there is less violence than the original adaptation. They're already losing their shit over it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think that's everything for this week. I think that'll that'll do. Great. We done it. We did it. Awesome. Okay, well we've done that. Uh, same time next week, I guess. Uh in the meantime, Laura, I'm sure you've done other things. Yeah, I've done other stuff. You, you, you can find that stuff as well. You can find it at Laura K Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. This week, by the t- probably by the time you hear this, uh, there will be an episode of Accessibility up on YouTube going into depth about that new PS5 accessibility controller. If you want to like hear my my like really in-depth thoughts about how it compares to Xbox and Nintendo's solutions and how like the pros and cons of each of them, I'm really proud of that video. Go check it out. Uh, Conrad, what about you? Well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You could come and hang out with me on Twitch uh, and watch, you know, me slowly lose sanity as I try to refine this fucking factory. Or watch Linda slowly lose sanity in Eternal Darkness, which is a game you very, very much should go play. Uh, you buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh yeah, uh, patreon.com slash jimquisition uh, supports the, uh, the web show, obviously, uh, this podcast and, um, any other projects that might be happening. Uh, there is a review of Little Gator Game, uh, on the gymquisition.com. Uh, that's our latest one. I may throw up one for Jane Decos. Uh, we shall see. Um, I stream, uh, usually Mondays, Wednesdays and the weekend if I can, uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. My current wrestling dates are this Saturday. I'm in Leeds for True Grit Wrestling, uh, Saturday the 14th. You can find uh, their, their social is at True Grit Wrestle. If you can get to Leeds, do come to that one. It's going to be a huge match, um, me versus Nathan Black. It's going to be a big crowd, quite a big one from what I've heard. So that's going to be a great night. The next confirmed date is February 5th in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling, where I will be fighting um, legit bodybuilding champion Shreddy. Next confirmed date is March the 18th. I will be in Blackpool for PCW's Women's Road to Glory tournament. Oh, uh, oh sorry, Sheffield in January 28th as well. Uh, that is uh, True Grit also. Uh, so those are my current wrestling dates. Um, hope to see some of you there. Um, if not, we will definitely see you next week. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.